Heavenly Father, we ask that you would uh, help us today uh, to know you better, uh, to look to you for all the help that we need. And Father, we pray that you would help us as we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We, Johnny, was kneeling by his bed one night and he was saying his prayers. Suddenly he shouted very loudly, God, I'd really like a new bike for my birthday. And his mum says to him, Johnny, why did you shout like that? God's not deaf, you know. No, but Granny is. (laughs) This morning... I've got a question for you. How do you pray? Now, I'm not asking if you shout like we Johnny, or if you whisper, or if you just speak them inwardly. But how do you pray? What is it that you ask for? If you were to write down all your prayers for the next week, what words would come up time and time again? Perhaps it would be the word bless. Whenever we're small, we maybe learn to pray something like, God bless mummy and God bless daddy and God bless the cat or something like that. And so we always pray those good but vague kind of prayers. How do you pray? Perhaps another measure of our prayers is what we pray for when we're in trouble. And in those kinds of situations, the dominant word is normally help. Help me with this, or help her with that. Or even sometimes you want to pray a kind of, I am a Christian, get me out of here kind of prayer. Well, this morning, we're going to listen in to a prayer meeting of the early church. And this was definitely a church that was in trouble. It had all started back in chapter 3 as Peter and John had gone up to the temple to pray. They had encountered a man who had been crippled from birth, who was over 40 years old, and he had asked them for money. Peter and John had no money with them, but gave him something even better as they made him walk in the name of Jesus. It happened at the beautiful gate in the temple, and that beautiful miracle pointed to the beautiful Saviour who promises a beautiful future of restoration. But not everyone thought that it was beautiful. Some people came to faith in Jesus that day, but the religious leaders, they arrested Peter and John. Uh, They put them on trial in front of the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish religious council. And Peter had explained how it was that in the name of Jesus that the man had walked. And how, as we heard a few moments ago, Jesus is the only saviour because there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The religious leaders were furious. They didn't want people hearing about Jesus or about the resurrection that he gives. And so they commanded the apostles not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And they threatened them 
before sending them out. That's where the church finds themselves. And perhaps if you open to page 1096, you'll be able to follow along. So that's the the troubling situation that the church is in uh, at this point in Acts chapter 4. The question is, how would they pray in that situation? If, and folks, it's becoming increasingly likely, if we find ourselves in situations of greater opposition and even persecution, how will we pray? And how do we pray for Christians who are being persecuted right now, today, in dangerous circumstances? So how do you pray? And what do you say? Well, notice, first of all, that prayer was a natural reaction to the news that they had heard. Peter and John are released in verse 23. They go back to their own people, to the church, and they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. They're told the news, and straight away, their response is to pray. Do you see that? At verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. I don't know about you, but I think that's fairly challenging. You see, their first reaction to bad news, their their first reaction to trouble, wasn't to post about it on Facebook and give off about it. It wasn't to organise a petition or to start a protest or to ring and text everybody to tell them. No, their first reaction was to pray. I wonder, is that our reaction? Corey Ten Boom asks a piercing question. He says, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is it at the center of everything we do or just there for emergencies and you hope you never need to, to use it? The disciples' first reaction was to pray. Secondly, they knew who they were praying to. Look at it with me. Do you see how they address their prayer? That's still in verse 24. First two words, what are they? Sovereign Lord. They know that the God they are speaking to is the sovereign Lord, that he is in control. He's in charge. And they know that for a few reasons. He is the sovereign Lord because, first of all, he made everything. Do you see it there in verse 24? Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So everywhere that we go, God made it. Everything that we see, God made it. Everyone we meet, God made them. Now why do they mention this? Why is this how they start their prayer? Well, they're reminding themselves that whoever is up against them, God made them 
and God is in control of them. They were up against the leading people in the land. And yet they remind themselves that actually God is higher. That God is in control, even over those impressive looking people. Next, he is the sovereign Lord because he knows the future. Uh, In verse 24, it was sovereign Lord you made. Now in verse 25, at the sovereign Lord you spoke. Do you see what he says? Uh, You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. According there from Psalm 2, written by David, written about a thousand years beforehand. And it shows that God knows the future. That nations rage and people's plot, albeit in vain. That kings and rulers gang up against the Lord and against his anointed one, his king. That word is Messiah or Christ. And in verse 26, we see that that's exactly what happened in Jerusalem. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Do you see the cast of characters involved? Herod, the ruler of the region of Galilee, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, Gentiles, the Romans, and the Jews, they were all united in their opposition to Jesus. It was a full-blown conspiracy, just as David had said a thousand years before it happened. God is the sovereign Lord because he knows the future. But God is also the sovereign Lord because he can make even his enemies do what he wants without violating their free will. Look at verse 28. They did, that's that whole cast of characters, Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the Jews, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now never... Whenever I was growing up, my brother's five years younger than me. And when we were growing up, I was able to make my brother do whatever I wanted. Okay, it's the power that big brothers have. If you're a big brother, you you know all about that, you enjoyed it. Um, If you're a younger sibling, then I I apologise on behalf of older brothers and sisters. Uh, So I would, you know, I would hold Neil's hand and, you know, get him to hit himself. And be like, why are you hitting yourself? Stop hitting yourself. Um, because I, that was what I wanted to happen. But he didn't want to do it, funnily enough. He would be trying to fight me off. Now, I have repented of that sin and such cruelty. And I tell you, I wouldn't try it now. So I wouldn't. He's my big brother now. Um, making him do something he didn't want to do, but I wanted him to do. 
But that's not the way that God does it. You see, God is the sovereign Lord so that even his enemies can choose what they want to do, but they end up doing what God had decided would happen beforehand. Pontius Pilate, the Romans, the Jews, the religious leaders, they freely chose to crucify Jesus, but God knew it would happen and used it to bring about his will. The salvation that we have in Jesus' death on the cross. How powerful would you need to be to make your enemies do what you want them to do while they do what they want to do at the same time? So they know who they're praying to. The sovereign Lord who made everything, including their oppressors. The sovereign Lord who knows the future. The sovereign Lord who is in total control no matter what happens. Do you realise who it is that you're praying to? God isn't, you know, just someone who tries really hard to maybe possibly be able to make some kind of a difference. He is not impotent. He is not unimportant. He is the sovereign Lord. He is in control. And you are praying directly into the throne room of heaven. So what do you say to this sovereign Lord when you find yourself in in this particular situation? Okay, don't look down at the Bible for a moment. I know that sounds strange for a minister to tell you not to read your Bible. Uh, But look up for a moment. How do you finish this sentence? How do you continue this prayer? Okay, I'll give you the first bit. You fill in the blank. Don't look down. Uh, Now, Lord, consider their threats and fill in the blank. What do you pray? Consider their threats and keep us safe. Who would think that? Who would pray like that? I, 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 I might pray like that. Consider their threats and stop them from doing it. Maybe. Consider their threats and help us all just to get along. <clears throat> Consider their threats and keep us out of trouble and out of prison. Well, you can look down again. See how they pray. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Did anyone fill it in that way? Would you dare to fill it in that way? They pray not for peace, not for safety, not for rescue. They pray for boldness to keep on speaking God's word. They don't want a quiet life. They pray that God will give them boldness to live a faithful and obedient life. You see, the danger is real. The trouble is threatening. But they want us to keep speaking out God's word, no matter what. And so they need boldness. They need courage to do that. 
And they ask God to continue with the healings and signs and wonders that got them into this trouble in the first place. Is this how we would pray in similar circumstances? Is this how we're praying when we're threatened and told to stop talking about Jesus? You see, they knew who they were praying to, at the God who is in control, the sovereign Lord, and so they prayed for boldness. And God answered their prayer. Do you see the aftermath of the prayer meeting? After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The sovereign Lord answered their prayer so that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and all spoke the word boldly. Over this next week, keep asking yourself this question. How do I pray? How am I praying? Is prayer my first response or my last resort? Do I know who I'm talking to at the sovereign Lord who made and spoke and controls everything? And are my prayers safe or too small? Or are they bold prayers for boldness? To speak out. I'm going to pray another prayer that we use quite often at the end of our services. And it comes from Ephesians. So let's pray as we pray this together. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.